Exit. Exit. Hello. I watched well, Shawshank Redemption and welcome, Matt didn't, and welcome, now we're going to talk about well, it. Well, welcome back to Exit. And Matt's somewhere else now. I live in a new house. I have moved into a new home with my wonderful partner. She's beautiful and amazing, and she is my world. But you know what isn't my world? Shawshank Redemption, which is a film that many people consider to be one of the greatest of all time. It still holds the number one spot on the IMDb Top 250 after all this time, and I think it blows. No, you don't, Matt. You haven't seen it. You don't get an opinion. You're not allowed. It's not legally binding. You know what? I think that that's... that's fair but it's also not because i think that i should be able to say yes i have never finished the film i have tried on three separate occasions to finish it and i've gotten so annoyed with the narrative and the way that it was presented that i stopped um i don't think that that makes my opinion invalid i do think that you know it's just that's my opinion and i haven't finished the film and if you think that that means that you know i don't hold as much weight then that's fair but i think and it's I, still and I agree with that opinion of your opinion. <laughs> I think um, that's a great point. Because there's plenty of stuff that I haven't seen fully that I make points about. Yeah. So. And, and there's also just like, you know, I know how the film ends just by cultural osmosis, by, be, by existing in these uh, spheres of film and media. It's um, a very iconic ending. It's a very iconic film. But it I think is. that's that's what made it more exciting for me is because I knew the beginning and I knew the ending, but I had no idea what happened in between. So the exciting part wasn't how does this end? It's how do we get there? What leads us to that? And that made it more exciting. And now the thing is, I know from snooping and perusing around the, God forbid, letterboxed that you you thought this film was perfect. Um... Yes. So, for the record, before I talk about its perfection, being a 5 out of 5 or a 10 out of 10 or a 100 out of 100 does not a perfect movie make. It just means that, like, it is it is as good as it set out to be, I guess. Mm -hmm. Whenever I'm ranking things, I, I'm very uh, subjective. So, something that's good, but I didn't like it, I'll rate lower than something that's bad, but I did like but, like, generally, I'll, I'll go for, okay, what is this movie trying to do, and what did it do? And if most of those two things line up, it's going to rank highly for me. So, yeah. I didn't, I don't think I wrote a, a physical review, like, I didn't say anything, but I did watch it, and, and I did put, I did give it a 5 out of 5, because I do think it genuinely deserves it. Now, you know that because we, we, we started uh, chirping about this, uh, I don't know if it was on mic or off mic, but you know that my biggest issue with this film is the narration. Yeah, me and Mike talked about that a lot, and uh, I, I do believe he, he wrote it down. So? I don't know what the fuck you're on about. I'm, I'm okay, I'm not gonna, I don't want to be crass here, but seriously, are you high? Like, what's going on? Every point that you brought up during that discussion about things you didn't like were either I wasn't 
concerned about it or just was straight up incorrect and your brain was playing tricks on you and it was it was very fascinating to watch knowing that because it was like what wait what's going are we watching i i think for most things that we disagree on it just feels like we're watching different movies do you think it's like actually a mandela effect thing where it's like i'm truly i'm getting different copies of my media yeah like i think you are I think you, your your computer got infected with the dark web, and it's it's been giving you like it's been giving you bizarro versions of films. I don't I, know. I only get dog shit. Listen, I that makes sense, honestly. Listen, I I I know. you can you can like good movies, and you can not like good movies just the same. I I don't like the Minority Report. I think, I think it, it's a. It I think just, it's a bad movie. I thought it was just Minority Report. Not it's the. the. It's the. I don't I even think, care to check it because I don't respect that movie. But putting the in front of titles usually ruins them or names for bands. The. Well, you know what? Actually, and you know what? Here's the hottest take that I'll ever have. Ever in anything, when people do, um, like categorization usually alphabetical and they remove the articles from words uh, to to do them to sort them alphabetically mm-hmm. i don't remove the or uh or any of the articles i keep them there so the legend of zelda is under t i hate and I, you and i keep it that and because that's my ocd that's my variation of it the article if they put the article there they put it there for a reason, and I'm going to market that that way. Okay. You know? You know what? Actually, that's fine as long as you're consistent with it because I'm I I'm very hate, consistent. I hate going to the record store and seeing, like, you know, I, I look under T, and it's got, like, talking head. And yeah. Then, and then there's, like, a couple the band names. Yeah. But then Fuck I'll, out of here with that. But then I go over to B, and it's, like, the Beatles. Right why yeah no anything that's the you gotta put it with the t's and then and then the t section is just overfilled and that's probably why they don't do that yes but i do that because i'm um there's something wrong with my brain so why didn't okay you discussed you said you didn't like the narration and that's a fine opinion to have but you said that the narration was bad and that's not an okay opinion to have. I didn't say the narration was bad because I think Morgan Freeman's voice is fine. Yeah. I do think that the way it is written and the way it is implemented is at once too frequent. Um, and I often think that it reiterates things that I already understood visually. That's very fascinating to me. Again, because to, to when was the last time you tried watching it? Like a month ago. Okay. Because maybe it's just that the narration, uh, it's been a while, like, uh, hold on, let me go to my, because when was the last time I watched this? The first time I watched this was the last time I watched it. Um, So I watched The Shawshank Redemption on the 7th of August, and today is the, fuck, it's the 28th of August. There's 104 days of summer vacation, and we have none of them left. There's, yeah... (laughs) <laughs> you also don't go to school anymore so your life's a summer vacation if you want it to be 
Yeah, that's unemployment. If you you don't want to eat. Um, So it's been a minute since I've seen this movie. But from what I remember, the narration is pretty sparse throughout the movie. It's generally used... And this was the big sticking point was... um, The narration is from Morgan Freeman's character's perspective, right? Right. It's not something omniscient. Yeah, it is his musings on the new kid, essentially. Um, the new kid that shows up at Shawshank and, and rises through the ranks and, and, and shows who he is and becomes his friend. And so all of the narration is meant to supplement as well as reinforce character traits that we know about him and or learn about him. So in some instances, I can understand what you mean by like, he's just saying what happened or what is happening. But I think the point is that what we see sometimes isn't what he experiences. And so he infers information. And so that gives us, it's less about him narrating so we can learn about the main character and more so we learn more about him by how he interprets the world around him, I suppose. Morgan Freeman, that is. Okay, counterpoint to that, he is... I I don't get it, because then at the same time, they kind of make his character out to be sort of like a mystery man. That You know, they say that. They're like, oh, he's like, you know, we don't know where he's from. Why, why do they call him Red? Fucking... Because he's Irish. Yeah, because he's Irish, I guess. Yeah. But, but that's the joke. Then, but then it's like, why, why, why do you have this duality of him being like the the this guy that you want to be mysterious? Plus, you're gonna have all this narration and inner thought that doesn't add much insight. I mean, it, like it adds a bit of insight to his character, but it doesn't add much for me as a viewer anyway. I that's that was what I got. I didn't. I didn't think it did enough for his character, and at the same time, it didn't do anything for me as a viewer, because that's not how narration is usually used. So I appreciate it in that sense, but... I guess you could call it non-traditional in terms of how it's uh, presented. Um, But to me, because it's like, generally narrators are either the main character or uh, a, you know, a godlike figure who knows everything. Yeah. Proper book narrator, and so to have this um, very specific adaptation of like, okay, this is Red's perspective of someone else's story. It it can feel maybe disconnected. I think. Yeah, but especially I think... because we don't see the rest of the film from his perspective. We follow Andy around the whole damn time, and we but even I think... leave to go show like what Brooks is up to. So it's like the narration to me, feels like a, a gap for the story of Red that didn't really need to be there. But I think that's the point, is that that is filling in um, the gaps of what Red does and does not know. Like, the um, the the most obvious one that comes to mind is uh, the... Um, oh, jeez, I'm going to have to look this up. The, the, the gang that beats up... Um, uh andy right um andy obviously he doesn't talk about it and we watch what happens to him but red doesn't know what happened because andy won't talk about it so red infers what we know and that sort of shows us 
his relationship with Andy, his relationship to the prison system as a whole, and how he perceives things. Um, and I, I don't, like, I don't know. It's just one of those things where, like, the film is so synonymous with its narration that, like, taking it away, I think, would make it a lesser film because mm. you, the the point of the movie is to get to the end of the movie, which I sounds dumb, but hear me out here. The movie is all, it's leading up to its ending, which is, you know it, it's sitting on the beach, they meet, and they, and they hug, and it's beautiful. The point of it is, that is Red's journey to get to where Andy was. Andy had the, the arc, he had the journey, he did all the things, but they were all done without the viewer's knowledge. And we learn about what he's doing. We get hints based on what we we see. And we could guess what he might be thinking. But we don't learn what Andy's plan was until the end when it's shown to us. And that show and that allows Red's narration during the beginning half of the movie uh, to feel more so like we're in Red's shoes watching Andy and not knowing what's going on in his head. Once Andy has escaped and Red learns what Andy did through the letter that he leaves for him, then we, as the viewers, are also filled in, and uh, everything sort of clicks into place. It's the kind of the movie where it's like you're sitting with a half-completed puzzle, and in the last 20 minutes, all of the pieces come together, and it creates that satisfaction at the end. Um because every weird choice Andy made, every confusing action had a purpose. And it's it's like this giant tapestry that he's slowly been putting together. And it's a very satisfying um, conclusion. And for Red, that is him piecing it together, learning what it is with us, the viewer. And from that perspective, I think Red needs to be the narrator and he needs to be sort of the one we follow. I guess. You're really making me wish that I had found time to watch this in its entirety. Right? It's it's a movie, it's really, it's a movie that lives and dies on its ending because you really don't get anything from just, like, I imagine just, like, stopping it halfway through and it'd be like, yeah, that was whatever. Because it is whatever in the beginning, but you need that, you need the day in a life, you need the the slow... It's a very slow burn of a movie. And that was the other thing I remember you mentioned was you didn't like the cinematography, which I think is maybe the most blasphemous thing you've ever said. What? It's so average. It's so gorgeous. Nothing what? in the film. I don't know what you're on about, man. I don't. And this isn't even a thing of like, oh, I'm like weird. I got weird opinions. Supernatural. In 1994, before Supernatural was a twinkle in his dad's balls. You know? You can't compare something to the thing that maybe originated that style. That's not what I'm thinking of. I just mean in terms of, like, the palettes and stuff. I think it's so dreary, and it's so... Yeah, they're in a prison. It's not fun. They're having a bad time. I know, but it's not... I just mean that it's so... When I say it's devoid of life, I don't mean that in the sense that, like, yes, I get it. The color palette is going to be drab, but yeah, 
just I just mean like the camera doesn't have a life. I mean What okay. Stop talking right now. I don't know what you're talking about when you say the camera has no life. Every I will say this, the camera is slow, it is meandering, but it is thoughtful and it is purposeful. The entire film is a slow and drawn out and painful experience and I think that is the point and that's what allows it to uh, impact at least me in the way that it did because all of these shots all of the shots that are done are done slowly they're done like there is no quick cutting there is no action in this movie everything is moving at a snail's pace because that is life in prison you are going day to day week to week month to month and everything blends together and the slow panning of the camera between scenes between moments creates that sort of meandering that kind of you you fall into a hypnosis with it and i think that that is one of the film's biggest strengths is that it doesn't try to catch your attention with with flashy action or like interesting or dynamic cameras it is very basic and very simple because the only thing that you need to be paying attention to is the characters and the dialogue and that's what the movie lives and dies on and it right. lives and on I was, to me that's why i guess that's why i think i wanted more from that because i was finding the characters to be kind of bleak and I shouldn't say bleak there. <laughs> I um, was going to say... Wh- no, that, you, they, 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 are, they are bleak, but bland, perhaps. Um, at, it least, is... at least most of them. Like, Andy is fine enough because he's a mystery for most of the film, and that's intriguing. What are you talking about? He's not a mystery. What do you mean? We know very clearly who he is. He is, he is um, an accountant who... Possibly well, yeah, no, murdered his. That's his... what I mean. That's the possibly that it hinges on. So you're waiting for for some sort of closure on that, at least for the first leg of the film. Right, but the point of the film, which it it illustrates later on, is that it doesn't matter what you did to get in here. Right. Nobody knows because the whole thing is, um, they make a joke about it. Everybody in here is innocent. Yeah. So once you're in the system. It doesn't matter what you did to get in there because your new life is here. Everything is new here. It's a fresh start. So what he did, when it shows us with the possible implication of he did do it, he didn't do it, it doesn't matter if he did it or not. He knows he's innocent, and us as the viewers can believe him or we cannot believe him. It doesn't matter because his life in the prison system doesn't it doesn't matter if he's innocent or not. And that's fine, but then the struggles that he faces in the system I found were so cartoonishly, like, bordering on parody, especially the the main, like, prison guard. That guy's a fucking cartoon villain. He is, and I think he is, like, one of the best villains I've ever seen because he is so... I there is there is a time and place for sympathetic villains and there is a time and place for cartoonish villains. And in a world where we know what police brutality is like and how law figures treat uh prisoners and uh just anybody they 
deem worthy of their malice. I don't like it's very believable to be like, oh, here is a man in an extreme position of power and he uses it to, you know, feel like a big man and 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 just do whatever he wants, manipulate sure, people. But just, I, the, the, like the use of the language, like on your feet, maggot. Like he's such a. Yeah. I I I just to me it's entirely unconvincing because I get exactly what they're going for. It's melodramatic. It's a classic good versus evil, and it's incredibly clear who the evil is. And while I agree with the politics of it, I think the depiction of it is so laughably unbelievable that. I like I don't feel bad for Andy when he gets beat up because I'm just like, yep, big bad guy punched the little guy. Wait, you don't feel b- bad for Andy when he gets beat up? No. Why not? I because I think it's so beyond belief. Like I But I, he's getting I, he's getting immersed. beat up for for no reason. Yes. Because and that's what I'm getting at is that yeah. real realistic people realistic people. Fuck you, man. You're getting me into this shitty language. <laughs> hey man, I'm just talking about a movie. You you can I know, I'm riled up over nothing right now. I'm a dog barking at the air, but It's all it's all good, man. I just really like this movie and it's very confusing that you don't like it. And I get I I'm fine with you not liking it. I just I can't wrap my head around your reasoning for it. I, think... I really I went in because I I you know what? I do like enjoying things but i try to be as critical as i can and i went in being like anytime a movie is like greatest of all time i'm like all right what are you hiding and i really tried to find something to even nitpick about with this movie but there was nothing nitpicky about it every character served a purpose every action served a purpose it was this long like winding journey in which each moment feels like okay why are we here that slowly unravels to the ending that shows us that's why we needed everything so i think the main important thing to find out is when did you how far is the farthest you've made it through the movie uh it's like what's the last thing you remember happening well obviously brooks hanging himself but uh Okay. I, I, but I made it farther than that. But that was like the last thing that, because that actually leaves an impact on you. That's that, the thing that's memorable. That is a moment where I was like, I feel like. See, I think what irks me more is when a film shows me that it can communicate using the language of film, and yeah. then proceeds to not do that for the remainder of it. But that's the thing: is the remainder of it, which you didn't see has more of that so i'm gonna say people who haven't watched it what are you doing why are you here why have you been listening this far for people that have watched it i'm gonna spoil a section of the movie for matt by all means i read the plot synopsis okay so you know what uh how okay the scene in which he hangs himself is very powerful it's a very large iconic scene it's sort of like it's a very like okay this is a man who's lived an entire life in the prison system and society rejects him wholesale or he rejects society because he can't he can't grapple with the new world but i know? think further than that is that it, 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 it's expressed so well just by yeah. showing him interacting with the world and struggling absolutely and you feel his pain and you watch him make that 
specific choice um and you and then you read his letter um you like the characters read the letter knowing that it is a suicide note yeah um and it's extremely powerful and then red walks in his footsteps and red goes through what he went through and he even ends up in the exact same room as him in the halfway house yeah and do you know about what happens there i don't know exactly what happens there i know obviously how red connects with andy again but what happens in there so within you watch him sort of do the same thing um the the, the same thing that happened to brooks uh, you see him go to the, the halfway house. You see him contemplating his life. You you watch him go to this um, job that, uh, like the, the bag and groceries job where he feels like disconnected from the world and he, he's, he's lost. And you watch him do the exact same thing Brooks did. You watch him set the chair up. You watch him stand. You watch him nervously just sort of looking around you see the the you know the ropes or whatever and you think it's going to be a repeat you watch him write in his his name so was red under brooks was here and he steps down from the chair mirroring what brooks did and he walks out and i really like that and it he walks away and that scene has it ends on the 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 baseboard where it shows brooks was here and then a little next to it says so is red and it was just a nice little tribute to his friend and showing that red had something keeping him going if andy didn't reach out to him if their friendship did not bind them if andy did not make a that promise to red that they would meet each other on the outside Red very clearly would have, and he could have, and definitely would have, uh, gone to the same fate as Brooks. But because he had the friend in Andy, because they had that connection, he survived. He he went on living, and he found Andy, and they presumably had a happy ending. You know and what? that was nice. I think this. I think this film would have worked well as a play. You know what? It also would have worked well as a book written by Stephen King in 1982. Yeah, yeah, I know, but but seriously, I, I I'm surprised. I feel like it's the kind of thing that probably would have get, gotten um, adapted into a play, but, but as a film, just, I think it works. I just whenever I'm engaging with a piece of media, my I'm always thinking, why does it have to be like? Is this the best way to tell this this story or perform this set of shit you know and i think that's the biggest difference between how you and i consume media because for me it is always instead of looking at what it could be i'm looking at what it is and what like okay this is the shawshank redemption an adaptation an adaptation novel of a stephen king novel this is a film but it is a film adaptation and it is about a man who is sentenced to life in prison, and that's it. This is... Th- th- whatever else happens, I am along for the ride. This is going to be a man in prison. It's going to be sad. It's going to be depressing. It is going to deal with a lot of different themes of of isolation and how uh, 
the prison, like how prisoners are treated. Like, I'm not going into it being like, this should be anything. I am simply saying this is a film and I am I am I am ready to experience whatever it's going to give me. And whether it's bright and sunny or dark and depressing, whatever it is, I'm willing to engage with it on any level. And if it interests me and if it fascinates me, fantastic. If it's not my cup of tea, at least I know what it was trying to do. Um and there's just, I think the film, I really, I also have a, an issue with like, I, I very much so uh, rate movies and, and all media based on what something represents instead of what it is, because I like the idea of like, less so what the movie does and more so what it means to me, what it represents to me, like what it, what it's trying to say. And that might be hypocritical to say in the exact same sentence but it just the feeling have you seen the scene where andy escapes like the yeah, like yeah, where I've seen you clips. watch him crawl yeah and that moment of elation standing in the rain basking in its freedom is incomparable like you can't describe it you just need to watch it but you can't just watch it by itself you need to watch him struggle throughout the film you need to watch him go through all of the pain that he goes through you need to watch him try and make a name for himself watch him fail watch him succeed and then when he finally escapes it feels earned it feels freeing to finally be out of there and it's just it's a it's a very beautiful, somber, quiet film, and I sat see, down I just, expecting. See, because that. I knew, I knew that the what the ending was going to be, and like I said, because I don't, I don't feel empathy for Andy when he's going through a lot of these struggles because a lot of what he's facing is is parodic, you know. I don't see it as that way, and I think that's that's the biggest thing is you you didn't connect with his struggles. And I mean, if you can't connect with his struggles, then there's no, it's, it's hard to care about him. Yeah. I think uh, but it's as simple as like big piece of it that I didn't really click with until, until now I've been comfortable saying like, Oh, the, the narration throws me off in the cinematography. But I think that really is what hangs on it. Because like, like you said, the cinematography is not that big of a deal. If we're focusing on the narrative and the, and the characters and what's happening to them, but I didn't mm. care all that much about that to begin with. Right. Like, and that's the other thing too, is you, you watch, like, do you know the fate of the warden? Yeah. Okay. You know that he, he yeah. shoots himself yeah. at his desk and that's a fantastic comeuppance thing where it's like, it is, it is cartoonish and how he, he gets his, his just desserts. But it's so satisfying to watch this man walk over everybody in this prison and get absolutely duped in every area that he is literally trapped in his office with creditors banging at his door. And his only option is to kill himself and he doesn't even hesitate. He knows that what he did is bad and he knows that he should be going to prison, but he also knows he won't survive in prison for very long. So he ends it right there. And it's like, 
I wish he suffered more, almost. But, see, but it's then that implies that someone that's that cartoonishly evil would a not have the the hub or, or have the hubris to take their own life, and b have the insight to have any of those thoughts when he's been nothing but a meat-headed brute the entire film. I don't know that he would be... I don't think he was portrayed as meat-headed. I think he was just... Cruel. He, he was cruel, but it, it was more so that he, he felt a superiority. Like, you're here for a reason, and I'm here for a reason, and that makes me and categorically a better human than you. And he treats... The, he. He quite literally treats them like slaves, you know? Yes, he exploits their labor and, and you know, uses them to to his benefit when he can and for his fulfillment and fun when he can't. Right. The big point is Andy does have a... Uh, did you did you get to the part where, um, with the, uh, the 50s greaser? Did you meet him? Elaborate. There is a, uh... See, that's the other thing, too, is the film, like, goes through years. I don't remember how long he is in... 19. Let me look this up. Huh? 19 years. He's in there for 19 years? Yeah. Andy is, anyway. Okay. So, Andy's in there for 19 years, so you watch him slowly age, and, and the years go by, and it... Because the film sort of... It doesn't tell you when time has passed. So, at a certain point, the, the, the film talks about a... Um, a section in his life in which, um, like, the new generation of, of hoodlums are being incarcerated. And yeah. there's a, a, a guy who's very classic greaser, you know, uh, fucking... Oh, yeah, yeah okay. With the, with the jacket and the, and the slick back hair. Yeah. And uh, he's very aggressive, and he's illiterate, and Andy teaches him how to read so he can get his GED. Yeah. Is that so? Do you yeah, know what yeah, happens? Yeah, I was bringing up. I just like I don't know why, but when you said greaser, I was thinking of uh, just when they were putting the shit on the roof. Oh no, 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 no! Yeah, yeah, no. That that that's that's much earlier. So you know what happens to the greaser? Uh, no, I don't recall. Okay, so that's a big point of. Oh wait, of no, he gets film. he gets he gets fucking wasted. He learns about that Andy Andy's. Uh, conviction innocent yeah and he can prove it with his testimony he talks to the warden the warden escorts him outside and he gets shot point blank yeah and this all happens while andy is in um the isolated uh cell and this is because so uh the warden he finds wants, it the warden wants to keep uh using his labor andy for yeah his labor and the money laundering shit yes so andy finds out that he passed the ged in while he's still isolated he passes with a c plus i believe and then he finds out that he was killed so it was it was this he is already so deprived of his humanity because of what that does to the psyche and we've watched it happen to him i believe he it happened to him once before um or at the very least he it happens to him once later but he's been through he he goes through it multiple times in his in his tenure at 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 the prison so we know that it messes with his psyche and to find out that the man who he's been tutoring, who he took under his wing, who he knows has a wife and child and who he finally got through to, who finally passes GED, is now dead. So not only is his friend gone, 
Also, his only chance of escaping is gone legally. And that's the breaking point for him. That is the moment in which all hope is entirely dashed. And that's when he and Red have the conversation. Hey, uh, you know, if you ever get out of here, go to the tree where I proposed to my wife. I've left, uh, I've left something for you. Mm-hmm. And then he says the famous line, get busy living or get busy dying. And that moment cements their friendship. But it's not their friendship being cemented has nothing to do with their interactions with each other. It is the lack of interaction with each other. It is their distance that brings them together. And that moment where he confides in him, he doesn't tell him how he's feeling. It's a very like non... um, uh, It's as emotional as a man would have been in that era by being like, hey... I can't tell you how I feel, but I'll I'll tell you how I feel in a note when you escape, which will never happen. Ah. But then it does happen. And the fucking oh, have you seen the moment where Red uh Red uh does his um what do you call it? The appeal? No, no. Okay. I mean, yeah, but there's like one at the beginning. He does the appeal. He does three appeals. He yeah. does one at the beginning of the movie, one in the middle of the movie, one at the end of the movie. The beginning and the middle are the exact same. He says the bullshit that Yes, I've I've recovered. Yes, I am no longer a threat to society. Blah blah blah, and he gets declined. The third time, he does a speech. He does a long drawn out speech about what the prison system does to to people like him, how he feels about it. I can't even I don't even want to say what he says. I couldn't paraphrase it for the life of me. But he finally speaks from his heart he finally speaks to what he's saying and he's no longer parroting what he thinks will get him out of prison because he knows he's stuck there forever and he finally speaks the truth and that's when he gets accepted to uh be released mm-hmm. because they finally see that he is no longer he's not institu- parroting. he's not institutionalized he he has finally andy has gotten through to him that there is hope and i think that's the film as a whole is about hope how Andy has hope and he has he holds on to hope the entire film when everybody else around him thinks he's crazy but that hope is what keeps him alive and when he finally passes it on to Red that's what allows Red to is to finally get out and survive when someone like Brooks couldn't because he didn't have a support system out there the film it's it's really like you got to work through the whole thing to get you got to get the full experience. That's a silly thing to say. I've got to eat really... my veggies. Is that what you're fucking telling me? Eat your veggies before dessert, man. All right. But the veggies are tasty. That's also part of it. Well, you know, you've convinced me to give it another try. So I'll, uh, I'll, I'll applaud you. I'll still say that I'm probably gonna, like, I'm not gonna make. You're not gonna a love it. Direct. You're, you're never gonna emotionally connect with andy because i've made three so far and it's never clicked so you're I'm... never gonna love this movie and that's okay but hey you know what maybe i'll like it if i uh watch it through I think to the end even if you don't like it i think you'll respect it if you get to the ending because yeah. what it's what it's set out to tell of its story is it's just a simple beautiful story about hope and friendship and if that's not, like, one of the greatest t- types of stories to tell, I don't know what is. Well, I just, I look for 
new and interesting and fascinating things in my film watching experiences anyway. So, you know, when I look at... Uh, because that's the top on IMDb, and IMDb also holds a lot of older films in high regard. Uh, you sure. Know, you've got your Godfather up there. You've got uh, The Good, The Bad, The Ugly, which actually I think The Good, The Bad, The Ugly is uh, absolutely a 10, and that deserves to be up there. Um, see, I'll, I'll get there one day, but I don't care about Westerns. See, me neither. I think Westerns are pretty damn uninteresting most of the time but mm. that one like uh, not to say it but like it it deserves it right and for me it's a shawshank redemption deserves it it's a character film that just happens to be a western mm -hmm. anyway um i guess you know when i look at letterboxd yeah it's a bit it's a it's a much different uh layout of films it's much more international like harakiri is still the number one which uh, is it? Uh, yeah, I don't remember. I think, I think it deserves it. I think that's pretty. Oh like... my god, that movie's fucking awesome. Well, yeah, no, but I just mean like out of all the movies, like to be to be there, it's like I'm not surprised, but I'm also not upset. It's like Hada Kitty. Yeah, all right. I think I I think I gave that a five or a four point five, something some around there. Well, that's a five for me. Um, and then it's a, it's it's a good for me. Uh, come, what did I give? Come and see is number two, which I don't know if you've seen, but it's not, I don't know what that is. It is a Soviet uh, Belarusian film, I believe, uh, about a like young boy that uh, is like really eager to join the war efforts in World War Two. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, I have this on my watch list. Yes, it looks interesting. It's it's great like i don't know if i'd say best ever for my personal taste but it really you know what one of the most interesting things about the film is that they um well first of all they do a really good job with the makeup and the the kid the child actors in this movie are fantastic which is shout out to child actors that don't suck because yeah, it's really. very difficult to to be a child actor and also be good but also to portray you know shell shock and grief and just a horror beyond comprehension and mm. and go for like the range this kid shows from like like the, one of the very first scenes he's like actively digging up uh like him and his little brother i think are digging up like in a, a trench from world war one they're looking mm. for old rifles so that they can because you had to bring your own rifle to participate in the soviet army okay so he's like all excited like it's it's literally like children playing in a sandbox right yeah, and but then, for not very fun reasons. Yeah, and he's, like, all excited when he's doing drills and stuff. Very early in the film, though, there's a bombing run, and the kid doesn't necessarily get hurt, mm. but he loses his hearing. And for the rest of the film, the audio is fucked up. I like that. That's a nice little thing. It's really annoying with headphones, but I can't even complain about it because I'm so, like, transfixed by it. It's like there's this constant... And they don't... It's not that they, like, warp the, the tape or whatever, because this was shot mm. in 85 in the Soviet... Like, the, the, the tech they had was not amazing for in, an independent film like this. But... Right. The effort that goes into it, they, like, play a really loud distorted like it almost sounds like an organ 
over mm. most of the the other sounds. It's like this buzzing, droning. It's horrifying. It, this is straight up a horror film. It's one of the only effective anti-war films I've seen because the kid, you know, you're not in most anti-war films. You're still rooting for the survival of a, a group, you know. Like sure, yeah. In Saving Private Ryan, sure, there's horrible things happening and people's guts are falling out and whatever, and it's really dramatic. But you're still hoping like this little band of soldiers can get through and save the guy. In this one, you're just like, I want everything to stop. Yeah. Everything. I feel like that with most mo- most war movies. But that's the other thing is that they don't show gratuitous gore or violence in this film. In fact, most of it is very obscured, and they they barely like, you know, there's there's moments where they go through I don't know a village or something, and there's a, a you know a pile of bodies that soldiers have left behind. But you see it from a distance, and it's like a, it's like you know they show it for a, a second. So you, there's no detail to it. It's just you look at it, you know what that is, and your stomach sinks. Yeah. And I think that's okay. so much more effective than showing gratuitous blood and gore everywhere on the battlefield, oh. like Saving Private Ryan. 100%. I have. Uh, I don't care for any any kind of gratuitous gore. It's just... On that note, you and I need to watch Tropic Thunder. We've talked about this before. <laughs> I would love to watch Tropic Thunder with you, Freeman. We need to do a Tropic Thunder watch night because holy... That movie is very funny. I have never seen it in full. I have seen hundreds of clips from it, but yeah, it's. I mean, I'm assuming of the clips you've seen, it's all the it's all the most famous ones. So I won't say anything, but like, I even am the clips scorched that, earth, motherfucker. It's the only time I've ever liked Tom Cruise. I will fuck you up. I yeah, I'm so ready to see all of it in context. Robert Downey so, Jr. The legend. Suck, my man got my unit. <laughs> my man got the N-word pass. I don't You know, not to be like you could never make that today. But I mean you could make it today, but You could, it just people would probably be more upset about it. But, but I this think... was literally like a couple of months after Iron Man, I'm pretty sure. So that makes it even funnier. What's crazy? Was it not 2007? It was 2008. <laughs> Same year. Um, I just think... I think that's hilarious. I just look at it and I go, you know, I think it's the kind of thing where people would be like, I don't know, I think that's a little distasteful. And then you actually see it and you go, oh, well, that's... The whole movie is distasteful. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm getting that's at. That's the point. Is that you're just it's like, a oh, very... well, that, like, you kind of forget about that after... Oh, yeah, the movie does because seven... It's, other, like, it's riffing on it, method it does... acting. Right, it does so many other offensive things, you're going to forget that Robert Downey Jr.'s in blackface so quick. Yeah. You're going to forget that it's him, and you're just going to be like, oh, yeah, who is this guy? He's great. Like, it's just... Well, now I'm it's looking vi- forward to watching this very much. Um, I, I think as a I'm follow-up, just... we should watch uh, the Human Condition trilogy uh, and do a watch-along what the fuck is that? Never mind. I'm not going to get into it. Um, I think we've talked about it before. But I also feel like that's... Isn't that like a kind of a bummer of a series? It's like... It's called The Human Condition. What the fuck do you expect? Yeah. Um, no, I, I'm watching... I'm talking... We watch a movie that's silly. 
silly we funny. Get, we get to watch Jack Black yell and say fart jokes. Uh, I need to. I need. You know what? I've been thinking about recently quite a lot, actually. Like it's really been uh, in the back of my head. Is that I want to rewatch Sleep Has Her House, um, which what is. is? Uh, a very strange and wonderful horror movie. Uh, but then I also need to watch Shatantango, uh, which is uh, the... How long is this fucking thing? It's... Tell me. It's 432 minutes. So what's that? Eight hours? Um, seven and a half? Too many. Yeah. Seven. Seven point two hours. Too many hours. I, I'll, I'm gonna try watching it at some point. I'm gonna have to really dedicate uh, a good chunk of time to it because I, I'd rather do it in like two sittings. Yeah, than, that's than that. That's a full day. You gotta sit down. And up too much. What the? Make fuck? that your day. Why Oppenheimer is above 2001: A Space Odyssey on the top <laughs> rated on Letterboxd. <laughs> fuck it, Letterboxd, get the fuck together, man. What are you doing? I don't pay attention to what other people think on Letterboxd, because everybody's dumb. That's true. I, I shouldn't give this any credit, but I'm sad to see that... Uh... It's popular right now, and you know what? I'm going to be 100% honest. If 2001 A Space Odyssey came out this year, it would be so much higher, but because it's a legacy film, people are less... I know it's an iconic film, but like Oppenheimer's hot right now, so people are more likely to talk about it. It'd be so you know? nice if we could just have... like legacy or archival films like properly available to people yeah but like, i mean but well, disney needs to make money that's a good point does disney own 2001 no i was just talking about like one of the streaming services oh just in general yeah I don't, is i want is 2001 available on anything right now like just the big ones? Uh, you know what? It's out. available in my brain because I remember a lot of it. It's on Prime and Crave. Oh, but it's like premium subscription. So it's like with something else. So yeah, it's not really readily available. But it's on the um, Criterion or whatever, right? Criterion? Yeah. But people people don't know about Criterion. That's fair. I think what I'm going to do at this point is I'm going to give up on anybody enjoying yeah. films as much as I do because everyone else just enjoys things wrong. Um, I have the same opinion. <laughs> it's very... You've... <laughs> such a good response to that. You've made my life so hard because now when I talk about movies with people, they just kind of glaze over. And then I'm like, oh, whoops. I you're, well, you're I, too I... used to being like able to spew whatever and have me listen. <laughs> Yeah, and then people are like, <laughs> I don't know, man, I thought it was pretty cool, and I'm like, yeah, no, you got a point. Okay, well, we've got, like, a, we've got a few minutes before we can call this, like, a full-sized episode package. Um, I've got two things to say. Okay, what have you got to say? I'll, I'll let you go. Of my two, um, I did I, I did a rewatch, because Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 came out on uh, Disney+. Plus. Sure you did. I, so I did a, a series rewatch where I did Guardians 1, Guardians 2, Infinity War, Endgame, The Holiday Special, and Volume 3. They're very good. <laughs> They're very, very good. I need to get around good. to Guardians 3 legal, legally. 
or not. Legally? It doesn't matter if you do it legally. I know it doesn't, but, you know. Do it. Do it illegally, I hope. Okay. I'd prefer you to do it illegally. Um, Volume 3 is just as good as I remember, um, and I'm very glad I saw it in theaters. I don't see a lot of films in theaters, and of the ones that I have seen, it's probably the one that I've been most satisfied with in theaters. That's awesome. Um, If you're familiar with uh, the Beastie Boys, um, the No Sleep in Brooklyn scene, when you see it, coolest thing i've ever seen i do pretty think, sure i said this on the podcast i do think the the white boy rap needs to be more represented in film and it's ooh, it's represented i won't say a single word but just when you hear that song come on get ready for the coolest shit you've ever seen in your life all right or a subpar action scene to set your expectations low thank you for you know what not fucking around thank you you're welcome. Um, I like it a lot, though. What else? Uh, what, what was the second thing you wanted to say? Well, you just didn't listen when I told you that I 100% completed Tears of the Kingdom, and then I said it again, and you're like, whoa. So I wanted to be like, hey, I did it. What Do you do you want to talk about that at all? Because you said you thought the ending was dumb. I didn't think the ending was dumb. I thought the ending was... Uh... Bad. <laughs> you didn't watch my video Matt thought about the it. ending was cringeworthy. I, oh shit! I did. I well now I can watch it because I beat it. I completely forgot about that. And you're gonna, because uh, then the next episode's just gonna be you being like, you were wrong here, 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 here. This is a staple of the Legend of Zelda franchise. You shouldn't be complaining about it. Anyway. Well, yeah, you're talking to a Zelda historian. What do you want? I know. Um, and like you said, I like to see what things could have been, uh, because yeah. I'm, I don't know, call me visionary, but the I won't. <laughs> Um, the, okay, let's talk, let's talk about the finale, like, from the beginning, because yeah. when you are, fir- when you first set out to Hyrule Cast, and mm-hmm. you're chasing around these spectral visions of Zelda, you're really just chasing around markers on a map. I didn't like that. Um, the whole game is, char- is, is, is chasing markers on a map, so I didn't mind it too much. I didn't, well, I, like, I know, I just, I... I thought there might be some signi- like some significance or some like hint that I could follow naturally. No, that was okay. It's just breadcrumbs. It, um, it's breadcrumbs. Yeah, but I did I did like the battles that took place in there. It was good uh, good arenas, good fights. Um, yeah. Gloom's approach and Gloom's lair. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah, yeah. You. Why was the rest of the game not this good? And I know why. What do you mean? It's because the the rest of the game wasn't linear. But this is proof to me that I just <laughs> yeah. want a, I just want a linear Zelda game with Which is so funny because if you want a linear Zelda game, play any other Zelda game. I know, but Fucking any of them. Like I, I finally get why people are like, why does Zelda go open world? It doesn't work like this. Because oh my god, that part of the game I was like, Whoa, I, I got goose pimples. Dude, I was thrilled during the... I was literally, like, jumping up and down. I was so... Like, I don't like to use the word hype because it gets thrown around a lot. I was hype during the ending. That, that like, whole that is, is That Okay, what I think is important is, like, Zelda for me is moments. Every Zelda game, like, every, like, 3D Zelda game, we'll say, just to make it easier, has moments that are, like, iconic, that I will remember forever in my mind's eye, and that will live on in, like 
fan art and like like people talking about it on the internet like what we're doing right now and tears of the kingdom is rivaling uh the wind waker and twilight princess for how it handles its final battle and yeah. i adored it i like as somebody that had fundamental problems or problems with the fundamentals of tears of the kingdom mm. i i love the lead up to the end and i like most of the end i like i, I love the whole ending I, man I, it's I know you it made do me because so of happy of course you do because you're a zelda fanatic oh it was so good but okay hear me out hear me out all right one yes because i because i just i was a bit like in retrospect a bit weirded out that there was no uh incorporation of any of the building elements which is like you know, I'm going to do this to any game that does this. If your finale does not, is not a total encompassing of everything that we've been building to so far, I'm going to be like, I'm like, I'm not mad that it wasn't there because I get it. It would have been, it probably would have been clunky. It would have been hard to incorporate. I'm sure they thought about it. But when I, when I, when you go to this finale and I've been spending my whole time traversing this shit and going around, I, I just, mm. I think, why wasn't that there? I think with most, and and this is me incorporating from other Zelda games, I think it's, this is a game that does a lot of different things, and to incorporate everything into one final battle would be impossible. But what I think it does, and what other Zelda games do, is it gives you that final dungeon, and in this case, it's it's the, the Gloom's Descent, right. whatever, whatever I, it was. I loved that. And I, but, like, that's the thing is, like, most Zelda games, like, uh, Ocarina of Time has Ganon's Tower, in which you utilize all of your old equipment in one final, um, like, uh, dungeon that's filled with a bunch of individual puzzles to let you, like, uh, complete the arc of all of the items to mm -hmm. do the final puzzle with each thing. And that culminates in the final battle, which is the culmination of the game's combat system. And so this game does a very similar thing in that the traversal to get to Ganon is sort of, it doesn't utilize the building, but you can build things and it gives you I, like the stuff to build uh, in a couple of areas. Um, and then the game's ending is uh, about the combat system. Okay, see, I missed that because I thought they're like with all the narrow corridors and yeah, there were there were like planes and and um, the little carts and and the the steering sticks and stuff, so you could like make your own thing to plow through the enemies. Because that was the thing was like I was scared with all the gloom around, so I just kind of rocketed past everything. Yeah. Okay. But it was fun. I, but like, I, and I, then I sprinted through everything. Yeah. Right, and then. Um, sort of the 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 final battle against Ganondorf is sort of and of course spoilers for this game because obviously what are you doing um the final battle with Ganondorf is uh sort of the the height of the game's combat system and then the final battle with Ganon's dragon form is the sort of um stylistic uh sort of not very difficult but visually pleasing and like satisfying to play through uh, and it, it incorporates sort of the diving mechanic sort of in the, the air. And it's it's more of a spectacle thing where it's just like, I already beat the game, but I'm doing this cool thing to yeah, cap it Yeah, I think that's what my issue with it was. is that, And maybe that's my fault for expecting something challenging out of the final fight. But Breath of the Wild did this too, but Breath of the Wild, like, 
really fucked it up bad because the oh, boss yeah, the light was, arrow shit yeah the boss was bad and then just like riding around your horse around hyrule while the boss can literally not touch you at least in this one the dragon can hurt you and like you're you're stressed about like aiming properly okay um let me tell you because you're gonna watch the video and you're gonna hear me reiterate re 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 reiterate this anyway but you're I was so annoyed because when, after you take out all of the, the eyeball video game weak points, gloom shit on Ganon's back as a dragon. Yeah. Which also, you gotta say, like, I'm not saying this is like a bad thing, but like, you can't call them the video game eyeball thing. It's the Zelda eyeball thing, because that's a Zelda trope. And if they didn't incorporate that, that would be really weird. But like, Zelda games originated it, so put some respect on the name that's all i'm saying okay i'm just saying that's other video games copied zelda listen if oh you're not gonna get me on this tangent right now but i'm not if ignore it ignore what i just said if everyone copies you you have to do things different to stand out anyway the sure uh, no that's fair but i like eyeballs in zelda Right, and I thought that part of the fight was fine. What irked me is that once I had done that, you have to go and, like, stab the, the secret stone in his head, right? And yeah. I tried... That's, like, the moment. I tried thrice to do, like, a plunging attack into it, but the game doesn't want you to do that. Yeah. They want you to jump onto his head and then press the prompt button, which... Yeah. To me, it left... Like, just as I was ending the game there, I think that left, like, just such a bitter taste in my mouth. Because the crux of this game, and, like, almost every facet of its gameplay was, you can approach this your way. Yeah. And then, in striking down the final challenge, the final enemy, I couldn't. And I was just, I was just, like, like flopping down on the couch, like... Pfft. I get where you're coming from, but also the entire dragon boss fight is extremely performative, so it didn't really bother me, because, like, at that point, I've beaten the game. It's sort of like a victory lap, where it's like, in in the narrative, the challenge has just grown, but in the gameplay, the challenge has decreased. And so no, it's I, sort of like, I, I am no longer stressed, and I am about to do the cool thing, and it's going to give me... Every Zelda game has done something like that where like it makes you do it makes you perform a specific action in the final battle to do the final attack so it's kind of a trope of its own at this point no, so i can I, understand I, like, that I, i'm totally like i get that i understood that that was like the finale and it was a spectacle and like you know the, the if you fall out of the sky zelda zelda's dragon really weirdly magnetizes towards you and yeah it, it just bothered me the way that I was like, okay, cool, this is a spectacle thing, I'll make it even more spectacular, I'll do a plunging attack, oh, okay, that didn't work, and now I'm annoyed. Okay. That's fair. I just, I would... <sighs> it's just too much of a nitpick for me to, to be upset by it, because there's, it's, it's like, okay, it, the game is trying to get me, again, this is a very specific thing. I, from what I can remember, each 
at least three D Zelda game has that thing where you have to perform a specific kind of sword strike to beat the game, and if you do a different kind, then it the the opponent blocks it. I'll say that without spoiling what other kinds yeah, of things. But like, the games are very particular about like, okay, we are trying to, we're, we're, we're going to try and cinematic this. But I have two more points to, to bring up about the final bit because I just want to know. How fucking awesome was it when Ganon did the reverse Uno card on you when he dodged your attack and then did the... the... No, that, that was fucking cool. The flurry rush. Oh, ooh, that was, that was fucking... I, that was the kind mm. of thing that's like... Sure, has this been incorporated in a dozen other video games that I've played where, you know, you've got uh, a, a thing that is you, yeah, but evil. But that was cool because you don't expect Ganon to do that because he's not Dark Link, you know? Yeah, you've been fighting monsters this whole time, and here is a, a an adversary. Yeah, and this is a battle instead of just, like, you're fucking up monsters. This is, oh, shit. Now I have someone who is an equal, and I love that. Yeah. It, the final thing, and the moment that cemented... Oh, sorry, you you, you were going to say a thing. I thought it was cool in his second phase, when, and I don't know if this was a bug or something, but his health bar going off the fucking screen. Yeah, that was so funny. That No, that's that was very intentional. That's a video game thing to be like, oh shit, he's got more health than the game can handle. Yeah, yeah. It was very intentional, and I loved it. It was such a like that's a video that's a something you can only do in a video game, and it'd be like, hey, we're playing around a bit with like your your expectations. Ganondorf is stronger than what the health bar can contain. I know. I just wish there was like a little animation for it or something to really indicate that it was intentional because I wasn't sure if it was. Yeah, maybe it's a bug, but at the very, it's one of those things where like regardless if it's a bug or not, it was a cool moment. Yeah, um, yeah. And the final moment for me, and what I will end this discussion on, I think, because this is the moment that cemented its five-star status for me, was the final action you perform in the game, which is skydiving to catch Zelda, and the first thing you did in the game, the first thing you failed at, you reached out, you couldn't catch Zelda in time, and the final thing you do is you skydive, you reach out, and you grab Zelda, and you save her, and it's just a beautiful bookend to the story it's a great bookend to the game and it's just a nice like i wish i could have gone back in time and saved her literally and that's what you do you jump out of the sky and you dive down and you grab her like you wish you did in the past and that's i think it's a it's a very like um like narrative gameplay moment that is again something that can only be done in video games where it's like all right, this is your moment. You have control. Get her. Save her. Grab her hand. I loved it. This is just like in Spider-Man Spider-Verse when Toby, no, when Andrew Garfall got to pick up Zendaya because he fucked up Gwen Stacy the other time. Yeah. It's a shame we had to lose Emma Stone that way, huh? <laughs> She got her head cracked like an egg. It and you know what? They didn't need to put that sound effect in there, but they did. I think they did they need really, to put it in there. They really I'd love to talk to the guy who did the foley for that. Yeah, that sounded you like know? a fucking like a fucking watermelon. Yeah. 
Why did they do that? That, was, that movie was PG. Yeah, it really didn't need to go that hard on her head, but it, it, it did. I was like 14 um, when that came out. I got so... I, I felt sick in the theater. Anyway. I didn't need to see that either. Uh, I'm going to play for next episode. What, well, what did you think of that moment? Um, I was so over it. Okay. And, that's fine. I mean, I you know, I recognize it's a full circle thing, and I'm like, okay, that's cute, but it's like... I guess... Yeah, of course you're going to save the princess. Of course you're going to... Maybe I just need to stop playing games like this because i i know that it's i don't just, i don't enjoy the tropes but it's just night it's just a nice thing because the entire plot of the game happens because link was too slow and so it's like it's like a vindicating moment of like i'm not gonna mess up this time yeah all all of this feels like my fault and i want to i want to rectify that mistake i mean i think um, you're doing a lot of projecting onto link who that's that's what he's that's what he's there for that, yeah that's what i'm getting at that's, <laughs> that yeah he's, he's very blank but that's yeah that's it is a and the game does a very good job of of um which i will say creating that's, that's a lot better that, that's one of the things that the open world design for uh for zelda does help with in that in that uh link being a blank slate works because you can pursue things your way it's, I think Link being the, yeah, Link being the blank slate is is the most important aspect of his character. He needs to be he he is literally courageous. That is it. That is it. Yeah, he is everything and nothing that you want him to be, and you go from there. And I love that. I think that's that's all it needs. That that's all that the Zelda series needs. Um. I'm playing through the Wind Waker currently to to complete all the Zelda games, and you finished it before. Link, I've I've finished it before, but I'm like doing the hundred percent run. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like, Link is so expressive in this game, and it's so fun. Like, it's just I fucking love this game, man. It's such a good time. And I really think I think this game you're gonna whenever you get around to Wind Waker, you're gonna either love it or hate it because it is. It's open world and extremely linear at the same time. And that's either going to be like, wow, I'm so glad they had it set up like this. Or you're going to be like, this is the dumbest shit ever. And I think you're probably going to lean towards dumbest shit ever. No, I think but, I'm going to actually like Wind Waker a lot better than other Zelda games because it's so different. The way it's set up is it's like a 7x7 seven seven grid. And on each block, there is one island. And each, like, some islands are where dungeons are, some islands are side quests, some islands are story places, some islands are, like, stores where you can buy stuff. Like, each each one has a distinct purpose. Uh, and for most of the game, you're going to be railroaded on, specifically, it'll be like, hey, the next thing is in this area, sail to this area. But in the in-between those times is when you just sail around and do whatever you want. Yeah, exactly. Um and so in that sense it's very open world in that like you just explore until you're bored of exploring and then you go to the next task but it works for me because it's not as big as breath of the wild or tears of the kingdom it is you know exactly what you're getting there are 49 islands you explore 49 of them awesome and then when you're done with that then you you when you're done with whatever island you go to the next one and that's fun for me because it's like 
I can check these off. I tell you and what. there's treasure charts. You could go treasure hunting. You could you can find the ghost ship. You can talk to Tingle. There's so Fucking many things Tingle. to do. I love Tingle, man. He's so funny. I wish he was in this game. I'm uh I'm I started playing it just earlier today, but I'm playing the new from software game, uh Armored Core Six Fires of Rubicon. Wow, that that really sounds like a video game. I know huh? it does, doesn't it? That sounds like some sitcom where the the teenage boy is is way too obsessed with video games, and his like mom they, they has to find a way a video to hide game. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, take a guess what it is. Like what what genre? What it is? It sounds like a mech shooter. Hey, bang on. Um, I'm smart. I know what's up. I mean, actually, I should have guessed that. You should you should probably come across Armored Core before. It's a pretty long. I've never franchise. heard that before. You really never. I don't pay attention. Before FromSoft made uh, Dark Souls or Demon Souls or any of those uh, titles, um, they it's all they really made was Armored Core. It goes back to the PS1. See, I don't know much about From Software because they don't they don't really make games that I am interested in usually. That's you're gonna love Elden Ring. I fucking telling you. Um, I don't think I am, man. I don't really like open world games. I think you'll like the the story and the 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 immersion of it, um, and just how custom, hope... and you know, very you know, make your own character, very RPG. Anyway, um, this this one is not that in any sense. It is a mech game through and through, but uh, it still has that that Souls like boss element to it. So, um, in the hour that I played earlier today, I I killed a a quad-rotored helicopter with a fucking sword. And... Woo! I'm not gonna lie to you, man. Like, there's a there's a 12-year-old that's still, like, clanging around in my brain that absolutely loves this shit. Oh, totally. If I was a normal boy, I would have been super into it. <laughs> at 12. I just, you know, I watched, those th- I watched Pacific Rim when I was 12, and it did something of to me. Of course you did! <laughs> Oh, you loved Pacific Rim, didn't you? Oh my god, I thought it was the best movie I had ever seen. Of course. That's that's the that's the most Matt thing I've heard that in That means okay, listen, and, I went back and rewatched it because I and I and you should never do that with movies that you liked as a child. <laughs> but Oh yeah, um, no. But you know what? Pacific Rim is decent. It's it's got a totally unengaging love story. Charlie Day is in that fucking movie for some reason. He is? Yeah, he's like a mad scientist. And he totally fits the bill. Um, It's on my watch list. It was directed by Guillermo del Toro? It was, and you can tell. Huh. It's strange. There's there's character detours that kind of work, honestly. And on top of that all, just the the mech action? they, They did their fucking homework, man. It doesn't get old. It's so... I remember... I remember hearing people talk about it, like, when it first came out, and I remember being like, yeah, I don't care. I wasn't, I, I was, I was, I was always the guy where, like, all of my guy friends would be like, oh, yeah, monsters and, and robots and big fighty things and guns, and I'd be like, nah, I like Zelda. They really don't and use, they, uh, like, just straight up guns all that much they use a lot of like plasma cannons it's very sci-fi mm. 
No, but you know, like that that kind of yeah. No, of, I get what you like, mean. Like you know, everyone's playing with transformers, and you didn't care. Very very heavy testosterone film. It it is, but at the same time, look. There's... I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying I didn't care for that when I was younger. But yeah. a different, like, kids my age really were about it because it was like, hey, everything that a teenage boy would want in a movie, there you go. There's a scene where uh, Idris Elba, who is like the, the captain for the the mech crew squads, he like takes his helmet off and he stands up and he does like a, a fucking... Uh, Independence Day speech kind of thing. Welcome to Earth. He what what the fuck does he say? He says He says, We're taking the fight to them today. We are canceling the apocalypse and that like poof. I love when people are like, Alright, we gotta we gotta write this quote that people are gonna quote for decades to come <laughs> and will be in the poster and in the trailer and everybody's gonna say it to each other. It's so and then they cheesy. come up with that. It's so cheesy, but I I kind of fucking love it. I feel like I feel like the film knows what it is. You know? It's very well. It's it's a pastiche of those kinds of movies, right? Like it's supposed to be like, hey, big mech, big fighting robot, we're doing it. Yeah. But like, what if it was like real and gritty? Yeah, and it's, it's but at the same time, I think it's kind of Del Toro kind of giving a bit of a love letter to the genre because it's very, it's very like you can tell that they like watched episodes of Power Rangers to it's get ready. It's for done this. with passion. Yeah, it's definitely done with passion. You could tell just by looking at it. Like it's very um, so lovingly made. All that being... outside of anyway. <laughs> All of that being said, I am I'm very excited to play this game. I think what what's interesting to me about the way this game works is, uh, so you know, we, you do a mission, you get credits, and you can use those credits to buy like new rocket launchers or laser cannons for your guy. Uh, yeah, can I just say as a, as a side tangent, um, I fucking hate any media that uses credits as its money as the name for its money i think it's the laziest dumbest shit ever and it, it bothers me whenever it's like credits i don't think they're, i'm like i don't think they're called what does that credits, mean but something like I, that i i don't care if that's what they are or called. i'm just saying in general any piece of media that says credits it bothers me no i, I get it it's... guardians of the galaxy they use credits because they're in space and it's like are you telling me the entirety of the space federation all use the exact same currency and it's called credits what's the point of the federation right um fucking anyway the the interesting thing is despite being a like obviously highly stylized highly unrealistic mech game where you're like boosting into the air and stabbing helicopters and you know drifting while firing 16 rockets um yeah like they treat the money like in a very realistic fashion where like if you die they charge you for reassembly and that gets deducted from your payout for a mission so if you die too many times you can end up in the red that makes sense that that's like uh yeah that's cool and i think that's a really interesting way of being like you know don't just rush in and be reckless because even if you don't die they're going to charge you for taking you know massive amounts of damage so there's the, right. the incentive to do well isn't just like you know brownie points it's literally the better you play the bet the quicker you can upgrade your guy yeah 
that makes sense that that's a very that's a very video gamey thing of like you know the better you do the more you're rewarded and so better players will but then have more beyond that, things to do it's not just about you know being able to to build like your one mech the way you want they encourage you to like buy a bunch of di- like it's not like oh you need to save up 50,000 for this one cannon it's like most of the things are pretty affordable mm. but you have to you have to have multiple different builds because different levels will like require you to be close quarters or be really long range or you know take a lot of hits because there's too many enemies coming at you so you got to invest in a bunch of armor and just be slow for the mission Right, there's not just one loadout that is the one you play for the rest of the game. Right, and I think that's that's cool, you know? Yeah, because especially, absolutely. Especially coming from other FromSoft games where I was like, okay, I'm going to put all my points into strength and uh, <laughs> and dexterity, and I'm going to wield this fucking mega katana and kill everything. It's like hmm. there, there's no be-all, end-all in Armored Core, and I really like that. Okay. There is no... Like, if you Google best mech armored core everyone's gonna be like shut the fuck up yeah shout out to from software for making games that matt likes i just think that they're you know i think they've done a good job of taking uh, what what parts of old school games were challenging and refining them so that you know the controls are good they're responsive Mm. so there's none of that like bullshit where a game was hard back in the day because it wasn't responsive yeah but we now have you know it controls well it's responsive i understand what's going on it's just it's still challenging and you need to master these parts of it that you know patterns from bosses telegraphed attacks uh, yeah difficulty in video games was sort of expected when video games were still new in the 80s with arcade machines and all that right because and then it kind of fell it kind of Right, and then it kind of fell out of out of style because it was like, okay, most people are playing on consoles now. We want people to complete our games, so they dialed it back. And then now we're kind of we're 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 bouncing back and forth. So we're 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 now in the era where like it's cool to have a hard game again. And from software is sort of, um, I don't want to say jumped on the bandwagon because they kind of started the bandwagon again. They pushed the bang. Um, they pushed it down they, a hill, man. <laughs> Yeah, they they brought it back, and they were because that's the thing they've been making games since the '90s, but like they didn't really get notoriety, um, or at least widespread notoriety until Dark Souls era stuff. Which is fascinating because um, that's exactly when, and I know I have definitely made this point at least twice on this fucking podcast, but that's when like games were getting cinematic, you know? Yeah. So shout out to cinematic games for being just okay. <laughs> And we will end our podcast about film and video games right there. Oh, beauty. Um, I did that on purpose. Exit. That would be great. Can you let me? Exit. Can you let me? Exit. Exit. Exit.